Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, our topical discussion is gently skirting around the main issue, which of course is Brexit. Not the B word. I know, I know. And we have declared this a a B word free zone. But the one thing that seems to be um, on everybody's mind is, you know, what's this going to look like? Whatever it is, what is this going to look like? And that sense of uncertainty can really impact on all sorts of elements of our lives and our business lives. So we thought that we'd spend some time talking about uncertainty of any kind in business and the impact it can have on your people, uh, on you as a business owner, uh, and also on your clientele, your customers, because every you know they're all interlinked and everything affects everything else and i think you'll agree heather that if you've been in business you'll you'll already be subject to uncertainty it's there it's all around us we don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen unless we can see into the future very few of us can so I, i think it's putting it into perspective and saying yes there's this major uncertainty about the b word yep But there is already a lot of uncertainty to do with economic conditions, the weather. You know, is it going to snow next week? Is it not going to snow? How is that going to affect my business? Illness, shifts in consumer behaviour. So it's already there. And and to some extent, you probably know how to handle that. So I think it's quite important to to put it into perspective, this B word that's happening. Yes, there is a significant amount of uncertainty, but that's nothing new to you. You're used to dealing with uncertainty in your business. Yeah, it's just that this, the the scale of the uncertainty is is very much unknown. Also, I think the commentary that uh, is is going alongside it. It's it's been going on for nearly two years now, and and you can't escape it. And it's building and building, and almost it's building this fear and this tension and worry. Actually, there's not much we can do about it until we're moving into it and we're dealing with it on our business. So actually getting to that frantic stage of panic isn't helping anybody. Yeah, absolutely. The the one thing that I always focus on when there is uncertainty, if you employ people, people... I mean, we you know, we all go to work to earn a living, you know, and some of us are fortunate enough to... <laughs> To, to do something that we love, but ultimately we're generating money because that's what we need to, to survive. Um, and understandably, when there is uncertainty, employees have a tendency to take things to a logical conclusion, which would be that they would no longer have a job or that their job might be at risk. Uh, and that's certainly um, an area that I think is really important because that can impact on productivity. Mental health. Uh, mental health, all, all sorts of things, which then adds to uh, the problems that uncertainty causes because there you are you've got this you don't know what's going to happen and now everything on the inside that you do have control over starts to fall apart and then you've got a you've got a major issue because regardless of what's happening externally it's all falling apart internally and that's where you really struggle so focusing on what might be going on in the minds of your staff is 
is really key. And something that's within your control to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, it's keeping them, as much as you can, keeping them informed, keeping them abreast of your thinking. You don't have to, you might not have made a decision because you don't know what you need to make a decision about, but just communicate with them and just let them, reassure them, um, or be frank with them. You know, if, if, if you genuinely don't know, you can say, I genuinely don't know, um, but this is my plan. This is how we're, this is how we're dealing with it at the moment because people people see bosses and managers and business leaders having meetings in offices and they just assume that they're all you know that they're going to be swinging cuts and they're all going to be out of a job so just make sure that people are aware that that there's nothing to worry about at the moment or we don't you know we don't know how it's going to be just communicate and I think in terms of communicating internally is important, but also externally as well. Your customers might be wondering and worrying about what, what's going to happen. Your suppliers might be thinking that they're going to lose some business. So actually communicating with all of your stakeholders might be a really important consideration. But staying on top of the news, but not letting it consume you might be a good idea. Constantly reviewing what news is new and what's affecting your business. Not getting caught up in the in all the hysterical um, headlines that are out there, but what's actually happening in your industry, in your sector, in your business. Just keeping a constant review on that and seeing how it impacts on your business plan. That that's important. Your business, your business plan. How is it being affected by the change? And there's a really nice article on the website Inc.com. We refer to it quite often. It's called Four Ways to Prepare for Uncertainty. It's got nothing at all to do with Brexit. This was an article written completely independent of Brexit concerns. And, and it's talking about all of those other things that can cause uncertainty in a business like economic conditions, illness, weather, consumer behaviour. And the first tip that they give is stay in the now. And... That's got sort of two aspects for me, really. One is stay in the now, as in you don't look ahead too far and get caught up in what could be, what couldn't be, and start panicking. Actually, how is everything in your business today? But also being mindful of what might come and then perhaps thinking about the different things, the multiple outcomes that might affect you and then preparing a little bit for a number of different options, just so that you're not caught on the back foot. That said, it can lead to a, um, decision paralysis. You can't make a decision because you feel that you, you shouldn't know how the future is going to be. And in these uncertain times, the chances of you knowing exactly what the future holds is very slim. So having the ability to make a decision is probably going to be based on now. How, how is your business now? And I think a lot of the things that suffer in these sorts of situations are, for example, investment decisions and training decisions because you don't necessarily know what's lying ahead in the next few months and years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this article is really helpful. It also talks about, and you've alluded to it, preparing for multiple outcomes. So you, don't, you almost don't have to make the decisions. You just need to know if this... This is what I need to think about. Yeah. You don't even you don't have to do the thinking because it'd be difficult to do the thinking based on the uncertainty and the unknown. But if this happens, that's what I need to focus on. That's what I need to think about. If this happens, that's what I need to think about. So that you can, st as you say, if you've got a crib sheet for each eventuality and eventuality C happens, 
that's your crib sheet. That's what you follow. Yeah. That's what you think about. That's what you implement. That's what you start to to manage and, and progress with. And I would suggest that you don't need um, real technical forecasting skills or statistical skills to do this. Just good common sense. You know your business. You know your industry. What are the possible things that might impact your industry? And write it down, you know, even if it's on the the back of an envelope, write down those different options. If you're that way inclined, I'm a bit visual. I prefer to do a little mind map of it and, and plot out the different routes. If you're a list person, make a list of these things. But actually start to think through possible future scenarios so that you're feeling as if you've done as much as you possibly can do and involve your employees in that we paint a scenario for them and ask them what they think because they know your business they they know they you know they'll know what competitors are doing they'll have a handle on on what's going on in your industry well i've had enough of the b word for now anyway <laughs> yeah i think well i think a lot of us a lot of us have yeah i think it, it's been a long hard slog so far and we still don't know what's going to happen and i think that's um that's tiring yeah. I, I think people find it tiring to be constantly wondering what's going to happen it can be scary and very tiring as well so just keep yourselves and your businesses as safe as you can you know your business better than anybody else so just look at your business and think about what the different things are that you might want to be considering and as heather said make sure you look after your staff as well because if you're worrying they're going to be worrying as well our book review this week is a book that neither of us own uh, but both of us um thought would be worth having a look at. It's a book by a guy called Jeff Hayden, who actually um, writes articles on Inc.com, a website that we referred to earlier. Uh, he has written a couple of books. This one is called The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. So we thought, okay, that sounds interesting. So we, uh, so we had a little explore on Amazon and uh, to see how much it was and where it was available. Uh, and we've sort of trawled around, because we don't have a copy of the book, we've trawled around and looked at where we can find out what the book is all about before we commit to spending £16 yes, on a book. £16.46, it's, it's not an easy decision to make to spend that sort of money if you don't know if the book's going to be for you. Um, so, you know, we, we've looked around a number of different places i've got to say at the moment i'm not i'm still not sure i would buy it yet right but i'll reveal later on my strategy for working out over the next few days whether i do want to buy the book or not okay all right that's fair enough the book itself is talks about what motivates us really uh, and whether motivation is is even a thing you know, is it, is it, can you motivate yourself or is motivation the result of something else that happens to us? Um, and he, he talks about motivation, as you might expect, being a myth. He says, it's not the special source that we require at the beginning of any major change. I love that, not the special source. Special source. <laughs> says, in fact, motivation is a result of process, not a cause. And if we can understand that, then we can change the way that we approach any obstacle or big goal. Now, coincidentally, I was at an event recently um, where there was a speaker, a lady who used to be 
um, a social worker. And she was talking about uh, the motivation model. That I, I know I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, but it's a model that's used by social workers when you're trying to get people to make a change. And it's uh, Prochaska and De Clements, Stages of Change. And basically, they talk about it being very much the opposite of what Jeff Hayden's saying. That's interesting. But this is, but but again, I suppose this is if you're trying to motivate somebody. Yes, to, rather than to, coming from yeah in, from within inside. Yeah. yeah, so so the stages there are uh, pre-contemplation. So that's before you've even identified that there's anything. You're not even thinking about anything needing to be changed. Then there's contemplation. Um, oh, I suppose I could make a change. I could do something. Then there's preparation. What would I need to do? Then there's action. Then there's maintenance. And then there's either success or relapse. But Jeff Hayden talks about um, the dopamine effect, where when you achieve something... Uh, you get some dopamine, which makes you feel good. And so therefore you're motivated to do something else. And that's the sort of cause and effect thing that he's talking about. He says small successes are fun and motivating. And I think that's right, because we talk a lot about chunking. You know, if you've got a big job to do, an overwhelming task, if you break it down into chunks and celebrate those sort of small successes, oh, I did this, I did that, like losing weight. You know, I think he talks about, you know, if somebody wants to lose 20 pounds... You don't just go, well, I haven't lost 20 pounds yet. I haven't lost 20 pounds yet because that's not that's not a great feeling. Whereas <laughs> if you go, I've lost a pound, I've lost two pounds, I've lost four pounds, that that leads on. What, so tell me about your, your strategy about deciding whether or not to purchase this book. Yeah, well, often I will start off with Amazon, which I did this time. So I took a look at Amazon and I, I read the reviews. Now, there's only 14 reviews, which isn't many considering the book's been out for... 12 months now, just over 12 months. However, they're all overwhelmingly positive. Um, and you can't always tell from reviews. That name may well have come from the friends of the author. Yes. But one that gives four stars out of five says, good advice overall about achieving goals. At first, seems a little repetitive. However, when I read with intent to make use of the information, it was very useful. That's a sort of useful uh, um, review that I like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because if actually I was getting a bit bored at the beginning, I might remember that and think, actually, plough on. This other person moved past that and, and got into the real meaty stuff. The next thing I did then was I went to look at a summary of the book, which is on the publisher's website. So this is on Penguin Random House website and they do a really meaty little summary of the the book. And again, it's one of those ones that you take with a pinch of salt. Obviously, they're going to say that the book is good, but you do get an idea of where the author's coming from and the, the difference behind it. One of the things that I, um, I really picked up on here is um, this little line that says, Hayden takes the mystery out of accomplishment, proving that success isn't about spiritual awakening or a lightning bolt of inspiration as Tony Robbins and adherence to the secret believe, but instead about clear and repeatable processes. So that, that chimed with me. So, okay, I'm going to read on a little bit further. I then went, and I normally go to 4minutebooks.com for a book yes. summary, yep. but I found this other wonderful little uh, resource called The Productive Blog. And here is a rather lovely um, summary nicely laid out well written of the book and in here um, she gives a, 
a brief, maybe three, four paragraph summary with some quick key quotes, her own reading notes and some actionable items. So one of the actionable items was key takeaway was success leads to motivation, which leads to more success, which leads to more motivation, which leads to more success. So what's the formula for motivation and happiness? So it's dream big, set a huge goal, commit to your goal. And then key to this, create a process that ensures you can reach your goal. Then forget about your huge goal and work on the process instead. And I think we've heard similar sort of things Mm. said before. So at this stage, I'm not thinking, well, this isn't groundbreaking. I'm sort of liking his style. So I wanted to know more about the actual author. And this is where I went on to YouTube. And I found an interview with him um, by a lady who runs um, um, a YouTube channel called The Creative Pen, P-E-N-N. And this is a 41-minute interview with Jeff Hayden. And it's clearly done on Skype, so you can see both faces next to each other. And here, this was perhaps a turning point for me. I thought, I like this guy. He interviewed really well. He told his stories really well. I really connected with a few of the things that he said. So one of the things particularly I'll pick out in this interview, he was talking about how he changed from being a plant manager in manufacturing. He had a full-time job and he wanted to be a writer. He said that, and I didn't just switch straight away. So he said he, um, people talk about, you know, you have to throw all of your passion into your new project, you know, so quit that job and put it all into this new job. And he says, basically, well, I had a family and bills to pay. I couldn't just do that because passion wasn't going to pay my bills. So what he did was he did writing in the evenings and the weekends and he kept his full time job at the same time. And then he did a switch. He said it only took him about 12 months. But this sort of process can take a number of years, depending on uh, what, what else you're doing and how successful. But I really warmed to him with that, you know, the way that he spoke and the way um that he presented his ideas on this video. So if you want to go and take a look at that, I just did a search for the motivation myth and the the channel was the creative pen. So then having heard that he was a writer on ink.com, it's a website that me and Heather use quite a bit. I went to have a look at some of his most recent articles and I liked, I liked the style. I liked the way he wrote Um, some of the things, uh, some of the headlines in the last um, 12 months um let's have a look exceptional leaders never speak first neither should you that's from july last year attend a meeting lose iq and he's talking here about saying that science has proved that um meetings actually make you dumber (laughs) that's well worth a read and uh, that's from may last year um talks about project management tools how to write the perfect business plan and and so you get the feel for the guy there. And also he was said to be an influencer on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn. So I've gone on there and I followed him and had a look through some of his articles and now following him. And this is the key now. I'm following him. I'm going to read his articles. He seems to be posting every month. Yeah, one a month by the look of it. And at that point, I might then go, right, I need to own that book. Sometimes you can get an idea of a book just from reading the summaries and you think, you know what, I don't need to own it. 
but sometimes and, and you've mentioned it a few shows ago mm. we've gone through the summary you had the kindle version of the book but you wanted to actually have yeah, one that you could hold copy. in your hand yeah. that you could put post-it notes in and that you could underline so i think that's my strategy now for deciding whether i want to own that book is i'm going to read his articles on linkedin so some of the more recent ones the power of kindness want to succeed more often stop thinking you already know what will and will not work oprah winfrey uses the same three sentences to get every meeting off to the perfect start and if you learn your boss's salary is higher than you think will you work harder Apparently, a Harvard study says yes. So he's got a real diverse range of writing. And it's probably because one of his other jobs is as a ghostwriter. And as a ghostwriter, you, you are typically writing a ride on a wide range of subjects. So, Heather, are you going to buy the book? Well, do you know what? I don't know if I'm going to buy the book yet. But do you know what I am? What, what, what I have bought Um I found this on Amazon and I didn't even know this was a thing. But there's um, there's a, a website called summaries.com and they summarise books, a bit like the four-minute books guy, and they sell the summary. So for £2.14, I can buy the summary of that book. And which, you've got it on your phone and your yep, Kindle? Yep, yeah. Yep. So I have it on Kindle. And then from that, it's a slightly different way of achieving what you've achieved. I'll decide whether or not I want to own a hard copy of, of the book. Um, but as, as a very useful resource, um, there are 950 books summarised on summaries.com. Uh, so that's something useful think we to look at. we might be revisiting that We might website. be revisiting that. Um, and, and yeah, and the, and the whole idea that you can buy the summary via Amazon for your Kindle. So I'd be really interested to know if you've been... Um, motivated to buy the book if you actually own the book and what you think of it a little bit of feedback if you want to leave a comment on our website the business talk community then uh, we will share what you've got to say with the other listeners and, and let them know in a little bit of honest feedback from you would be welcomed and if you decide to buy the book, if you pop along to our website, thebusiness.community, there will be a link. And through that link, and for, indeed for any of the books that we've reviewed, if you buy the book through that Amazon link, we get a few pennies and that helps to pay to keep the website up and running uh, and yeah, to keep the wolf from the door, keep our SoundCloud account open. This week's business leader is a man who perhaps needs no introduction. We probably all feel like we know him. However, do we really? Do we know the man or the myth? I'm not quite sure. This is Rupert Murdoch we're talking about this week. He's the chairman and CEO of News Corp. He's worth £19.2 billion, according to Forbes.com. And he controls a media empire that includes Cable Channel, Fox News, The Times of London and The Wall Street Journal. He's a native of Australia and he inherited a newspaper at the age of 22 after his father died. And he's quite a legend. Loathe him, love him, whatever you feel about him. He's a massive presence in business and in the media around the world. And he's on a number of lists. He's um, number 26 on the Forbes 400, number 39 in the most powerful people in 2018. And he's on a billionaire's list. He's 87 and he's got six children and he's currently on his fourth wife, 
who is a former model and former wife of Mick Jagger. His wife is Jerry Hall. So, Heather, number of um, thoughts came to mind when you suggested Rupert Murdoch, and sadly, I completely got the wrong end of the stick and started researching Robert, <laughs> Ma Robert Maxwell. I don't know why you said Rupert Murdoch. I researched Robert Maxwell. I don't know. Media moguls, I put them in the same mm, categories. Mm. But uh, Rupert Murdoch is quite different. And so I did my usual thing. I went to see them on Twitter. Now, Rupert Murdoch, I thought, no, Rupert Murdoch's not going to be on Twitter. Heather didn't believe me when I found his account, which is a verified account on Twitter, Rupert Murdoch. His handle is at Rupert Murdoch. He joined in December 2011 and he hasn't really posted anything since March 2016. And to be honest, there wasn't anything really worth picking out there all one-liners. I don't know if he wrote them or not. Not a lot of personality in his Twitter account. He's got 737 followers still. Um, and he's 737? Followed... Yeah, 1,000. Oh, I was going to say... 737, <laughs> sorry. So I thought, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he's following 129 people himself. So um, I, I don't think we can find out a lot about him from... Twitter. However, you can read about him in a book, and this book is called The Murdoch Method. Now, it's not a management style that I'd heard of before. It was written by a gentleman who'd worked with him for over 30 years, and Erwin Stelzer, I, I think the, the chap's name is. And uh, largely, it comes across as um, praising Rupert Murdoch. He liked the man, presumably to work for him for 30 years. He must have liked the guy. So it's not at all a, a scathing attack on him. He does um, go into some detail about his management style. There aren't many criticisms in the book, but one of them is that he has a, a danger of um, inclining his company employees to guess what he wants them to do. And they often guess wrong. And uh, Stelzer describes this guessing game as one of Murdoch's greatest weaknesses. I guess this guy should know. It, it, it seems like a reasonably innocuous weakness. Um, I'm sure there are many things that people could point at that they find um, <laughs> um, lowers them in, in their opinion. But um, it, it's apparently a good read if, if you're interested in understanding the management style of somebody who has indeed made himself. He literally, from the age of 22, he took this newspaper and he's grown this massive empire now. Heather, what, what, do you, what did you think? Well, in fact, why did you suggest Rupert Murdoch as a subject? Not Robert Maxwell. Not Robert Maxwell, no. Uh, well, he... As we've, I mean, he's incredibly rich. Um, he has been incredibly successful. Now, whatever you think of his business practices, whatever you think of the industry that he works in, that's all by the by. He has been massively successful. And his career has had quite a few uh, setbacks, hurdles, uh, quite a lot of controversy surrounding, not least, the, uh, the whole phone hacking scandal. Um, which you know was in was in two thousand and eleven, uh, and 
and and and even you know before that his involvement with um with um this this there were the strikes the trade unions in I can't remember what year that was it was during the time of of Margaret Thatcher's um prime ministership um yeah issues around the sun so he he's not a people pleaser I think we can say that he, he claims he doesn't read anything that people write about him. I don't know whether he read the book, which largely praises his management style, but he claims not to read anything that people write about him. We, and that in itself is quite interesting because he's employing people to write and, and, and speak about, about people all the time. Um, I asked my husband um, what he knew about him and he said, oh, I know quite a lot about him. Um, and then he he sort of dodged the subject when I asked him, you know... <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, what did you think? Um, because he is, uh, uh, you know, I think he has a lot of, for want of a better word, enemies. Um, but how... He must be doing something right in terms of the people that work for him and because they stay working for him. You know, he, I've had some involvement during my working career with the Sunday Times... Um, one of the publications that he owns. Indeed, at the moment in the news this week, um, he's looking, he's wanting to merge the Sunday Times and the Times, um, the London Times, the daily paper, um, to save money, to combine resources so that they um, they can focus on the quality of the journalism. That's, that's his uh, rationale. But he's having to get permission um, to do that because of... Um, monopolizing really i think as much as anything uh but yeah he he has power he has power and he uses it for his his own gain i guess mm -hmm. um yeah, apparently there's an ongoing feud between murdoch and mark zuckerberg of facebook oh um, it was covered in um, an article on wired and apparently this feud dates back to at least 2007, <coughs> where, um, <coughs> excuse me, News Corp tried to ignite a scandal involving the presence of sexual predators on Facebook. And in a meeting in 2016, Murdoch took Zuckerberg to task for changing Facebook's newsfeed algorithm. So I, th I think he's, uh, he's not afraid to make enemies. That's a very certain style. Mm. You, you seem with all of the the stories that you hear it's maybe a good thing that he doesn't read anything that anybody writes about him uh, there's an interesting quote from in in november 2015 former australian prime minister uh, tony abbott said that murdoch arguably has had more impact on the wider world than any other living australian um you know i think that probably expands beyond <laughs> Australian because he controls so much of 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 the media and and has done for a long time uh, but he you know he I'm not suggesting for a moment that he uses it inappropriately in any way shape or form but you can't you know you can't be that influential you can't be that powerful and not influence um the way that we all think about things and the way that we're all presented with information yeah, reading various um, articles and, and interviews with him, it seems that he recognised early on the the power of having that sort of influence through the media. He, he, he saw it as an ability to influence 
the agenda of what was going on. And, and he's been uh, quoted as saying that for, for, for many, many years. And uh, he also went on to say that you're also in the thick of all the interesting things that are going on and that he can't imagine any other life. Give him his juice. He, he says what he thinks mm. and, he, and he does what mm. he says. Yeah, yeah. So we come to the point really where we, we just come up with some quotes. Now, there are some quotes that I would not possibly repeat and some quotes where you, the, you feel that they give you an insight into the person and into his style. And there's one that stood out for me really. And Again, it's honest. I, I, it, I just, it made me smile for its honesty. Um, and this is, um, Monopoly is a terrible thing until you have it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, well, yeah, that is honest. That is honest. There are an awful lot of quotes, um, things that people say about Murdoch. I was almost tempted to, to you know, um, use some of those. <laughs> but but um, sticking true to form he says, when you're a catalyst for change, you make enemies. And I'm proud of the ones that I've got. So I think I take from that, it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do. Sometimes you are going to make enemies along the way. I mean, he's got, you know, he's got some pretty serious ones, um, but on any scale. He's proud of it. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He doesn't mind the fact that he, he, he rocks the boat and he is willing to rock the boat. Um, he, Again, easy to say that when you've got lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want to add one more quote in as well, which, uh, again, I, I like the honesty of this one. And it and I think it shows some sort of reflection on, on the character. He says, I did not come all this way not to interfere. Yeah, so that's well, a good one. On that note, that we've come to the end of the show. Well, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. And um, please do leave some comment on our website. Um, start a discussion. Let us know what you think about Rupert Murdoch politely if it's online. And um, also let us know what you thought of the motivation myth, whether you actually own the book and you've got any thoughts on it. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Oh.